Good morning. How's everybody doing? <sighs> I, li- I like this. I, you, you do know, I just like, the more you talk, the better I preach. I'm just like, that's like a legit, like that's just how it works. Hey, um, have you ever been at the like edge, the cusp of something new? Five years ago, um, TLC had not started yet. Uh, We'll celebrate our five-year birthday party. And if you've been here for very long, you know we like to throw great birthday parties. But that's going to be just after Easter. So uh, five years ago, we had not started. Um, December 24th, literally the day before Christmas, uh, my wife and I and our four kids uh, moved Uh, from Hamilton, Michigan, uh, back here to Grand Rapids, moved into our house. I can still remember uh, all that was going on at that time. Um, We were going to plant the church. We had started meeting with the launch team. Some of you were a part of that launch team. And I was was nervous. I didn't know how I was going to go. I'd never planted a church before. I'd always worked at churches that had been established. In fact, most of them had been established for decades, and it felt really safe and wonderful, and I loved it. And here we were moving our family away from uh, a dream home that we loved, schools and friends and community, here to Grand Rapids, and we did it on the 24th of December. (laughs) I don't even remember if we had it. I think we set up just a small little uh, fake tree uh, that we sometimes use for decorations, and that's kind of. And and we were moving into a house that was in full renovation mode, like it was like a, a gut job, like a complete gut job. And so the entire upstairs was just torn up floors, and we had to live downstairs with a mini fridge, a microwave, and a crock pot, and one bathroom for the six of us, and we lived that way for the next six months. Um, I remember what it was like being on the cusp of something new. It's terrifying. It's exhilarating. And now, this is kind of my promised land. Uh, Really, I mean, like, things that I hoped and kind of dreamed and thought of and in many ways, I'm getting to experience it. Not that I feel like we're fully in. still a lot of ground for us. I believe God wants us to take spiritually. I think there's a lot more that God has for us as a church, but I do remember those early days. And, and this is exactly where we find the nation of Israel. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to zoom up, then I'd like to zoom out, and then I'd like to zoom in, if we can do that, okay? So what I want to do is just catch us up to speed As we step into this new series, promises have consequences. There's a promise that God made to Abraham that is about to be fulfilled here in the book of Joshua that we're about to spend the next nine or so weeks walking through. Promises have consequences. Now, most of the time when you hear the word consequences, at least when my kids hear the word consequences, it's negative, right? Oh, you're going to get a consequence for that. (laughs) This is a glorious, amazing consequence because the promises that God makes are always for our flourishing. 
for our growth, our opportunity and ability to find rest in him, which is what the land represented. Now, what I'd like to do first is let's zoom up, all right? Uh, We're going to take it all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve are born. Not born, created. (laughs) And then they have kids that are born, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, remember that? And then we get Seth is born, uh, given uh, uh, as a gift by God, so that uh, kind of take the place of his brother Abel, and uh, the line kind of goes through Seth, and if we continue on, we get to Noah, bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of generations. Then with Noah, you get the flood. After you get the flood, Noah and his family starts to uh, um, repopulate the, the earth. Uh, a lot of folks don't want to do what God had originally asked Adam and Eve to do, which is to uh, multiply, to spread out, all right? And so they start to build the Tower of Babel. And it's kind of their way of saying that we are actually our own gods. We're strong enough. We're big enough. We'll get ourselves up to the heavens. We'll figure this out. And God says, ah, you're not doing what I've asked you to do. So he confuses their languages. It says up until that time, the whole world spoke one language. And then as a result, languages uh, come and they have to kind of, God uses that to kind of begin to get people to, to move out. And that's when we come to this guy named Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. Okay. Now I want to show you a map. Uh, with Abraham and Sarah. We'll see uh, far right-hand side, you've got, that's Babylonia, uh, Ur, okay? Uh, you've heard of the, the Chaldeans. That's that area. That's where he starts. You see down in the lower sea, the Persian Gulf kind of down there. He starts there. Uh, God says, if you will uh, trust me, I'm going to give you uh, a land. It's going to be in this place called Canaan. Uh, Abraham says, yes. And so he begins on this journey of faith with God. God promises to make him into a, a great nation and give him this land. So uh, we see he kind of goes up to Haran, kind of comes down. Uh, You got the Mediterranean over there. Down you see Jerusalem, kind of the bottom left. Uh, That's the land of Canaan, where they're going eventually to to wind up. Uh, But that gets us to Abraham. Now, Abraham, of course, we know the story, at least if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, it's all going to be new, but that's great. You're going to get caught up to speed real quick. Abraham uh, has a couple of sons, Only one of the sons is the son of promise, how God intended to do it. And and so that promise of the land and the nation comes to Isaac. Okay, Isaac marries Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob. Jacob marries Rachel. And they have 12 sons, which are eventually going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. They're living in Canaan-ish area. Uh, The youngest son, Joseph, of Jacob and Rachel's kids is kind of like the favored son. At least that's what all of his older brothers think, and they don't like him. They're kind of jealous, all right? And so, uh, <laughs> like the Bible, I love the Bible, because it, it, like, they, don't, they don't sugarcoat even the heroes, all right? Uh, Joseph's brothers literally sell him into slavery. They're, they're like, that's how jealous they are. So he uh, becomes a slave. Uh, Joseph, if we look on this next map, uh, you're going to see, oh, sorry, 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 not that map yet. That's okay. There's a different map. We just got him in the wrong order. There we go. Uh, So they sell his brother, they, uh, they go up to Dothan, he gets sold there, he gets brought all the way down to Egypt, okay? So Joseph is now down in Egypt. 
Uh, there is a famine in the land of Canaan, and Joseph's uh, 11 older brothers have to come to Egypt to get food. God uses all of this to bring, uh, to take care of this small clan of Israelites. This is actually when they begin to be called Israelites in some ways because Jacob actually gets renamed Israel. That's why we call them the 12 tribes, the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so uh, after uh, this period, they're down in Egypt and they're there and eventually they forget that Joseph was the right hand to the Pharaoh. A couple of generations go by, uh, the Egyptians forget that uh, Joseph's family, this, this tribe of Israelites, is uh, actually uh, was instrumental in, in saving Egypt. And so they don't like the fact that they're increasing, and so they begin to enslave them. And for the next 400 years, Israel lives in Egypt as slaves, laborers for the Egyptian empire. They begin to cry out to Yahweh, their God, who then sends them Moses. Okay? After 400 years, Moses comes on the scene, and Moses, of course, leads the people out of Egypt when God does all of these miraculous ways to rescue them. So we see the Exodus uh, starts off in Egypt, which is kind of the upper left-hand corner there. You see Egypt, uh, they go through, they wander a little bit in the wilderness, they come to the Red Sea, that's when they cross through the Red Sea, they go to Mount Sinai, which is kind of down near the bottom, and that's when God gives them the Ten Commandments and the law, they become, at that point, God's holy, special possession, his uh, uh, holy nation at that place, when they assemble around uh, God on the mountain, and uh, then as a result of the people's disobedience, they send 12 spies into the land that God wants to give them. The spies come back, two of them. This is where we first learn about Joshua. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, yeah, there's really big dudes there, uh, but we can take them. God said so. The other 10 are like, heck no, man, they're huge. They're like, no way we can do this. They're like, this is crazy. This is insanity. We're all going to get wiped out. And God's like, look, you wouldn't trust me. Look, you didn't see what I've already done to Egypt. Now you're not going to trust me with this. Fine. You're going to wander for 40 years. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness and wait. And uh, Moses comes to the end of his life. That entire generation that didn't trust God has died out. Moses stands at the top of Mount Nebo. God shows him the land. And then Moses dies. And this is where we pick up the story with Joshua. Now, I want to show you, though, uh, one last map, okay? Now, um, okay, you're not going to be able to see this. That's all right. <laughs> In the yellow part that's on the right-hand side, it says Amorites. There's a city right above there called Shittim, and Shittim is where Mount Nebo is, and that's where Joshua is going to take over as the ruler or kind of commander of Israel, and he's going to lead them across the Jordan River, which is a little blue line between the Sea of Galilee at the top and uh, the uh, Salt Sea uh, down below, the Dead Sea, we often call it today. And that's where they're going to come through, and they're going to have their first city that they have to uh, conquest in, in Jericho. Okay, We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But I just brought you all the way from the beginning of Genesis through now to where we're at in Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up. We're going to look at the first nine verses in Joshua chapter 1 today. 
That was our zoom up, okay? In just a second, we're going to zoom out and see what the book of Joshua is about, and then we're going to zoom in on the actual uh, passage a little bit more. But I want to start off just by reading these first nine verses. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start off reading verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, uh, as I promised Moses, excuse me, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors and give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn, it, uh, turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yahweh, God, comes and commissions Joshua himself. Uh, Verse 1 just kind of sets up what's happened. Moses has died. God comes and he now commissions. Uh, What I want to do, we did a zoom up and kind of saw the lay of the land, how we got from Adam to this point in Israel's history. Now what I'd like to do real quick is just zoom out. Okay, we're going to just see how this commissioning is actually a way that the rest of the book is kind of broken down. So you'll see up on the screen, there's four major sections of the book, and they actually correlate to the commissioning that God gives to Joshua. First, God commands Joshua to cross the Jordan. All right, that's verse two. That's the very first thing that he actually says to him. Israel does this in chapters one through basically the middle of chapter five. That's what those first five chapters are really dealing with. All right, second, Israel is to take the land that's given to them by God. This is what God says to Joshua in verses 2 and 3 here. And this is the context and the content of chapters uh, 5, starting in verse 13, all the way to chapter uh, 12. Then third, you have the distribution of the land, which gets assumed in verse 4. All right, that the land that they've conquered, it's now going to get distributed to the 12 tribes. And this is accomplished in chapters 13 through 21. That's what happens in those chapters. All the land is getting uh, uh, distributed distributed, distributed. I don't know how like it's to say it too many times. You forget. Fourth, Joshua is urged to covenant obedience according to the law given by Moses. This is what uh, God says to, Mo, or to Joshua in verses seven and nine. Hey, pay attention to the law. Don't forget it. Don't turn to the right or turn to the left. Meditate on it. Live it out. Act on it. Um, And this is really the focus of chapters 22 and 24. So we had our zoom up. We've now just done our zoom out to get a little picture of what we're going to be looking at in the weeks to come. Now I'd like to zoom in on this commissioning, this passage of scripture. And really there's three lessons that I think 
we, uh, God wants us to learn, that God needs us to hear in this season. So, lesson one we find in verse two. Let me go back and read it. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Into the land that I'm about to give them. The first lesson is this. You go, I'll give. You go, I'll give. It's so important that we understand that God is the one that's actually doing the action here. God's doing the work. And all of these things, these, these scenes, these, these conquests of uh, different uh, cities that we're going to see, God's the one that's doing it. They, they have a role to play, Israel does. But God is saying, look, I'm going to do this thing. You just need to trust me, believe, and then act on it. Uh, really, the issue of faith is, will we believe what God has said is actually true, that he's actually going to be good to his word? Like, that's, that's the core issue throughout Scripture. The core issue from the very beginning to this t- point in Joshua, to our day and age right now. Do we actually believe that God is who he says he is? Will he actually do what he said he's going to do? Am I willing to stake my life on it? And this is what God says to Joshua, and it's the first lesson that I think we're supposed to learn. You go, I'll give. God is the one that's doing the work, okay? God's the one who made the promise back to Abraham, and he's now fulfilling it. Now, As a long time ago, God made that promise, right? I mean, well over 400 years at least, probably getting up on five, maybe 550 years earlier, God made this promise to Abraham, and it's just now being fulfilled. Generations have gone by. I get angry like when I got to wait for my peppermint white mocha for more than like two minutes. You know what I'm saying? Will we trust that God will do what he promises to do even when it's not on our timetable? You see, promises have consequences. And when God makes a promise, God always keeps it. It's just not always in the time frame that you and I like, wish, will happen. Lesson one, you go, I'll give. So this is what I'd like you to do right now. I want you to think about a promise that God has made to you. There's a whole host of them in Scripture. There's promises that God has made to me with certain things in my life. I just want you to take just a second right now, and I just want you to reflect, and we're going to do a little bit of like back and forth this morning uh, with the folks that you're sitting next to. I want you to think of one promise. It could be something in Scripture. All right? God promises to never leave us or forsake us. God promises that what he's begun, he's going to finish. God promises that when we give our lives to Jesus that we get the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Uh, I just want you to think of one promise that's meaningful to you. It could be a promise that God has spoken to you personally in a time of prayer. And I just want you to catch that promise. And then I'd like you to just share that promise with the person that you're sitting close to. So I'm going to give you about a minute to go ahead and do this. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and share what's that promise that jumps out to you.
There's one promise in particular for, uh, for me. Um, I'm not going to get into it because it's a little too personal, to be honest. It's not public information, but there's a promise that God made to me and to my wife that uh, he hasn't fulfilled in the way that I expected, or at least in the timetable. And yet I'm still believing wholeheartedly, and, and I've seen God over, over the years, more than a decade now, show me that what he said to us, he is accomplishing. It's not how I expected him to, it's not in the way that I wanted him to, but he's doing it. Because God's always good on his promises. But I still have to believe, I still have to act, I still have to live that in faith Lesson number one for the Israelites is, you go, I'll give. Lesson number two is actually found in verses five and six, uh, seven and nine. So let's read those. Verse five, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. He says this to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Then jump down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. You get it? He's repeating it a lot here. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The second lesson that God wanted them to hear and us to believe is that be strong and courageous because I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you wherever I go. That's the second lesson. Be strong and courageous. Do you see the element of faith that keeps coming up in these lessons that God's giving? Uh, first and foremost, it's an element of faith. You go, I'll give it to you. All you got to do is go. You go, I will do, I'll do the work. And the next one is because God knows that we're human, all right? He's got to remind them, look, I'm going to be with you. Yes, I'm going to do the work. You just have to go. But know that when you go, I'm not going to be someplace distant. I will be with you. You can be strong. You can be courageous. You can step out in faith. Look, I'm not going to leave you. I kind of think about this, though, and I'm like, yeah, if God told me that. Like, if he was, like, right there, like, like if he just, like, if Jesus all of a sudden just, like, like came down on the stage, right? Okay, the robes and it's probably wind somehow. I don't know. And and he, and he and he looked at at you, all right. And just pretend none of you are married, okay. And, and he said, "That that woman over there is going to be your wife. I want you to go talk to her father and tell him that right now, okay." You'd probably be like Jesus right here telling you that. Like you might do it, right? Like is Jesus actually? Right? If God had said, like, then I would, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> You'd be like, you would start arguing with Jesus. I, ain't gonna, I don't even know that chick. I'm not going to go talk to her dad now. Are you crazy? He's going to shoot me. People, they have guns now. They didn't have them back when you were, they got guns. Right? You might have that conversation, right? We, we struggle sometimes. Like, even when God tells us something plain, we struggle because it's an issue of faith. I actually have to believe that what God says is true. Now, what God says he's going to do, he can actually do. Like, it requires faith. I was watching this um, YouTube video, I don't know, like eight months ago. And uh, this guy walks up to, uh, and he's a young guy. He's probably like in mid-20s, I would guess, something like that. 
27-ish, and he walks up to uh, somebody uh, that's in a store, okay? So he did it to a few different people. Uh, one person was at, like, uh, a Target. Uh, one person was at this, like, uh, shoe store. Uh, another person was at a jewelry shop. And he walked up to them. He said, this is my credit card. I will buy you anything that you want in here as long as it doesn't go over the limit. You can get as much as you want, whatever you want, and as long as it's under the limit, when we run my card, it'll be all yours. If, if it goes over the limit, though, it gets, the sale gets rejected. You just have to put it all back. So people start kind of sizing him up. First of all, like, are you for real? Like, is he, like, legit? And then they start looking at him like, all right, what kind of clothes does this dude got? Like, how much is really on the card, right? What's the max? Is it like $1,000? Like $5,000? Is it $10,000? Like, what's the max on his card? And so uh, they're trying to figure this out, and you can kind of see him, and he's trying to egg him on. Like, you should get this. You should get that. And so uh, this, this one guy, he's got, is that this like high-end shoe store? He's got like, uh, it's like $10,250 worth of stuff, shoes, clothes, and he brings up uh, one more thing, and, and that's what puts him over 10000 and he thinks 10000 is the limit. So he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't want that shirt. And they take it off, and it's like 9900 and something, and, and, they, and they run the card. Approved. <laughs> Kid gets it all. And then uh, it's another, another guy. He's at a jewelry shop. They don't know how much is on there. There's three pieces of jewelry that, that he's going to buy. And the jeweler's so excited about this because he doesn't know anything. About, and he actually says, it's like $1,100. He's like, look, I'll give you 10% off. We'll make it like $9,999. And the guy's like, really? He's like, yeah, because the jeweler's just excited. And he's going to make a sale. So he's excited too. They run it. Approved. Every single one of the people that he runs the credit card for Regardless, one was like 17,000, 18,000 at an art gallery. Every time it comes up approved. And it's not until afterwards that the people say, How, what was the limit? And he always says, it was unlimited. I don't know who this dude is. Obviously, he's got some like deep pockets. But the card was unlimited. Now, if this guy came to me, I would probably do the exact same thing. I'd be sizing him up. All right. He doesn't look that old. Probably doesn't have too high of a limit. 10 grand, that sounds about like what you're probably going to get, you know, with first, like I'd probably do the same thing, like just under 10 grand. But if he came to me a second time, right, after I know that there's no limit, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm buying the store. <laughs> I'm empty and like put it all on there. Put it all on there. This is exactly what I think God has for us as well. God's like, will you trust me? Will you believe that what I've said I'm going to do, I'm actually going to do, that I'm capable of doing this for you? Nobody does it first. Usually it takes some time, right? And this is what it means to grow in our faith. But over years, I've seen God be true to his word. Times when I've wanted to try to take it into my own hands, I've seen God show me that what he says is right and better and good, and I've learned to grow in my faith. This is one of the lessons God wants us to have, and there's one more lesson that God wants us to see, and we find it in verses 7 and 8. It's the lesson of, be careful to obey my word, 
That's how you'll be successful. You want to know what it looks like to be, you want to have the kind of life that you dream of? Then learn what's in this thing. What God desires for us, how it is supposed to shape us. Let's see what he says to Joshua. Verse 7, he says, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And then he talks about a couple things here. He's like, keep this book of the law always on your lips, number one. Meditate on it day and night, number two, so that you may be, uh, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's number three. Talk about it. Meditate on it. Act on it. That's how you're going to be successful. That's what success is actually going to look like. That's how you're going to find the life that I'm talking about. You're going to get to know me. You're going to begin to trust me. It's actually going to grow your faith. Keep it on your lips. You want to know why we sing songs? Yes, it's to praise God, but also a lot of the songs that we sing are actually coming from Scripture. Why we pray, why we read Scripture together, we want to keep it on our lips. This is why you ought to be talking about it when, with your friends and in your small group. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Ruminate on it. You ever seen a cow? What, they got like five stomachs? Ten, I don't know. I'm not a science guy. But what do they do? They eat it. They chew it. They swallow it. And then they bring it back up. They chew on it some more. Mmm. If it was a ribeye, I'm down. All right? That Taco Bell, I don't want to chew on that again. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes to God's word, we need to be people who are engaging, talking about it. And the reason that we do that is so that we can actually then live it out, right? God's word ought to affect how we act on issues of justice, how we act on our money and our time, what we spend our lives on. It has to influence who we are, what we do. If we do this with consistency, not perfection, okay? Because I'll be the first to acknowledge I am not perfect. I'm not perfect in how I engage with God's word. It's not every single day for me. I'd love to tell you that it was. It's not about perfection. It's about consistency. And that is something I continue to build into my own life, the consistent engagement with God's word. In my small group, with my kids, my friends, times of quiet, what I meditate, it will help me to live it out because the whole point of God's word is not simply for you to get smart. The whole point of God's word is to shape how we spend our lives. And that's where success is found. And that's the third lesson that God wanted Joshua to hear that I believe he needs us to hear. I don't think it's an accident, friends, that God has us in Joshua for the next nine weeks. Um, We've known for a while what we believe the vision that God had called TLC to, okay? We're supposed to be a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus. That's what we're about. We knew that that first piece, multiplying, meant that God was going to ask us to do for others what our sending church, Central Wesleyan out in Holland, did for us. They planted us, they invested in us, so that we could become a church that could preach the gospel, that could help the next generation fall in love with Jesus. And we've got a lot of work to do, but we've got some cool things to celebrate. You guys remember you took your survey a few weeks ago? All right. 
I'll give you just a, you got to come in a couple weeks to the owner's meeting. All right, you can get a, we'll give you a lot more of the, the survey results. Let me give you a couple of cool things. Uh, this last year, even in the midst of crazy COVID year, we had 27 people that gave their life to Jesus for the very first time. That's awesome. That's one of the things that we cared about. Uh, we had uh, over 30, I think it was 34, that recommitted their lives to Christ that had not been following him. They maybe had, had given their lives to Jesus years earlier, but they had not been following him in this last year. 30, I think it was 34, uh, recommitted their lives to Christ. Uh, one of the things that we're passionate about is the next generation, especially those that are de-churched and unchurched, that haven't been engaging with, with a, a faith community, a faith family for a, a number of months. We, uh, a year ago, when we took this, 21% of our church wasn't engaged in a faith community before they started coming to TLC. We're like, that's pretty good. Like 20%, that's that. Well, like we were like, hey, pat ourselves on the back. We're feeling pretty good about it. And then I read a, an article that said, yeah, the best churches, though, uh, in the nation are about a third of, of their folks. And I was like, dang it. I thought we were like crushing it, but we actually, we still, there's still work to do. And uh, so we started praying about that. But it's like Grand Rapids, man. I'm like, well, how's that like? Can we, can we grow that in Grand Rapids? You know what we found when we took the survey this year? 31% of our church now are people that weren't engaged in a faith community before they started coming to TLC. Man, I'm just telling like God's on the move. God's doing some really, really cool stuff. Trust me, we've got a lot of work to do still. God has things for us to do as a church, but one of the things we know he's called us to do, which is going to take incredible amounts of faith, and this is where I feel like we're kind of like Israel. We're standing on the cusp, is we're supposed to plant churches. We're supposed to do for others what Central, our sending church, did for us. In the last probably six, seven months, we've gotten some real clarity with our elder board, our leadership team, our elder board, uh, our staff, on how we're going about beginning to try to make that happen in the next two to three years. It's going to require a lot of faith and action. We're going to actually have to step out. We're going to have to cross a Jordan River. We're going to have to trust that if we go, God will give us what we need. But friends, there's no better place that I want to be. There's no more exciting place than standing on the edge of a promised land. Now, I got no idea what that land looks like. I, like I, to me, it's not an issue of numbers. It's not like, oh, well, like God's going to expand. We're going to get you know, this and that, and we're going to plant you know, 30 churches. It's just whatever God wants to give us. But it's the promised land that God's asked us to step towards. And so I think Joshua, in many ways, is going to become a bit of a roadmap for us. What we look at for the next nine weeks is kind of a roadmap that I think God's going to want to use in our own lives to mature us, to ask us to step out in faith, trusting that what he said he can do, he actually can do. And as a result, we're going to see some really, really cool things in the next few years. And so I hope that you're willing to take this journey with me. I'll, I'll tell you, it's a journey that I'm on too. Like I'm not some, like, I'm not disengaged from you. It scares the crap out of me. It scared me five years ago. But I've seen God be faithful. And if this is what God is calling us to do, then I'm scared, but man, I can't wait. And I can't wait to do it with you. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a church that says yes, that believes. <laughs> God, I will admit um, I'm not always great at it myself. Uh, way too often I'm worried about what other people are going to think or what the world is going to think of me or am I going to fit in. 
But Jesus, I know that when I'm engaged in your word, when, when I understand what you've called me to be, how you've called me to think, how you've asked me to spend my life, my time, my money, my resources, whatever gifts you've given to me, God, that's where I always find life. That's the success that I'm really looking for. And Jesus, I don't just want it for me. It's what I want for all of us. It's what we want as a church. It is a scary, scary prayer, Lord, to ask you for faith. God, whenever we ask you for faith, you put us in situations where we need it. (laughs) But we also know that there is no better place to be. So like Joshua, standing on the banks of the Jordan, hearing you say, go, let us be a people who trust you take those first steps. We ask it in Jesus' name.